we wrap up the 115th Congress, um, which will be my last one as North Dakota's uh, U.S. Senator, we thought we would do our last episode of The Hot Dish by bringing back a dear, dear friend and my predecessor, um, former U.S. Senator Kent Conrad. And he's going to be churning the tables, um, as we say in the hot dish world. Um, on on me and actually being the interview and I'm going to be the interviewee and so I'm going to turf this over to Ken Conrad um, who is a dear friend and when people ask me I just have to say this I said when people ask me who is your political mentor just keeps coming back to you Kent from that time you walked into my office in the tax department and said, I think you should run for political office. And I said, no, I'm never going to do that. And then every turn of the way, you're kicking my butt out the door telling me to get going. And so, um, you know. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) I really feel bad about it. (laughs) You know and I know we wouldn't have given up one day of opportunity to serve North Dakota. But as we transition, you know, it is important to kind of reflect back on the legacy and the history of what we've been able to accomplish, I think, and and um, how we will continue the fight for the middle class, how we'll continue the fight for uh, farmers, for the people that we serve. And so, and I know, Kent, you, you carry that with you, still fighting the budget fight, still fighting the retirement fight, still trying to affect public policy that's important for America going forward. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it is an incredible honor that we had to serve here, uh, that you have had to serve not only here, but as tax commissioner and attorney general and a candidate for governor of the state of North Dakota. So you've got a proud history. And I tell you, you can leave here with incredible pride. You know, uh, so I understand that nearly half the Senate turned out for your farewell speech. Now that is truly remarkable. Um, I can only think of one time in all the time I served here that there was that kind of a turnout for a senator and their farewell speech. Um, So what do you think? Well, I mean, it it, was, it made it harder to give it because, because uh, first off, you're so moved by the friendship yeah. and the, so gratified by um, the outpouring of support. But then you get into that, oh, they're all here. Now I can really tell them what I think. So I got a little wound up and, and um, hopefully offered some words of wisdom. You know, it was interesting, Kent, because someone asked me, you know, what advice would you give to someone coming in? And I hadn't really thought about that question, but... After some reflection, you know, what I've said is I would tell them to write their farewell speech, then live by it. Boy, what a great idea. Yeah. So, so sit down that yeah. day. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What, what, what do you want to be able to say when you're walking out the door? Yep. Um, and then read it and live by it. I remember um, a story you used to say about how you would write down the three things that you were going to do that day and look at them in the morning and repeat them and repeat them and repeat them. Yep. And, you know, I think it's that kind of discipline to stay focused on the bigger things that uh, made you so effective. So what are you, looking back, what are the things you're going to take with you that you're most proud of? Well, I think the friendships, obviously. But I think um, the stuff that I'm proud of, it always surprises people. It's, It's the work that your staff does back home. You know, getting uh, Andy Shaw's Purple Heart, and I know you were there when I told that story many times about a Korean War vet who never got his Purple Heart. Um, Amazing man, spiritual man, and so moving the ceremony was. His whole community turned out to 
um, uh, thank him for his service and to um, support him. Um, but but I think that um, you know you, you, you have a, a list of things that are important economically to your state. You know, two farm bills. I mean, think Huge. about that. In six years, two farm bills. We had um, a delay on the first one, so when we did it in 14, we then knew that we had to come back by 18. This is this is the best bipartisan farm bill I think we've ever passed, and we played a big role in it. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the work I did on oil exports. That, you know, people look at the oil economy in North Dakota and they say, well, you know, uh, uh, it was always going to be this way, but if we didn't allow exports of crude oil, the, the posted price for North Dakota crude would probably be $20, $30 less than what it is right now. And so I'm enormously proud of that economic advantage that I gave North Dakota and American production. You know, I just say this to you. You think about the two drivers of North Dakota's economy, agriculture, still number one, oil and energy, number two, but hugely important, and you played major roles in strengthening both. And you did it in a bipartisan way. I, I think, you know, and I looked at a list of senators who were at your farewell speech. A lot of Republicans. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is so unusual in this place to have respect and affection demonstrated by people on both sides. And in those numbers, Heidi, that is truly remarkable. Yeah. So you, you can take the, wear that with a badge of of honor yeah maybe maybe they just all want to make sure i was leaving Kent. <laughs> you know well i think some of the leaders maybe <laughs> but but you know the other the other piece and probably the piece that that when people say you can't get anything done that i think illustrates the work that that i was able to do was something called 45Q, and that's the carbon capture sequestration yep. tax credit, which is instrumental to building technologies. Those technologies are going to be essential if we're going to continue coal-fired uh, electrical generation in this country. And so I was able to bring Mitch McConnell and Sheldon Whitehouse co-sponsors on this bill. And, and was able to get it Maybe passed. never happened before. Never happened. But, but, but what I told people, who said, how do you do that? do that? And I said, I knew I couldn't get anyone to agree on whether we needed to address climate. You know, obviously, Sheldon believes firmly yeah. that water levels are, especially for a state called Rhode Island, that yeah. maybe you ought to pay attention to sea levels. Mitch represents, like I do, a coal state. But the problem is, is that you've got to find common ground. And I knew that the common ground was in technological development mm -hmm. and investing in technology. And so we're able to get Barrasso and Crapo, or not Crapo, but um, Shelley Capito and, and Sheldon. And we just, we built this incredible um, uh, coalition that will continue hopefully after I'm done. But the tragedy of this, and I know there's a lot of North Dakota listeners, is that um, and I, and I said this when I was campaigning in coal country. I said, look, if you think that you don't need someone in the Democratic caucus who understands this industry, who understands electrical generation, who can speak truth about redundancy and reliability, and who has credibility, you're wrong. And now, after I'm leaving, there's no one who is going to talk about those issues. And, you know, this is the, this is the threat that you're under when you buy into one political party, um, and you don't buy into advocacy. Who's your best advocate? And and I, I'll tell anyone in North Dakota for the coal industry, I have been the best advocate in this in this no delegation. No question, absolutely and, no question. And they're going to miss that. Yep.
they're going to miss that, and it's not just going to be North Dakota that's going to miss it. Um, because, you know, what seems from, from outside, what seems to be most lacking here in this institution is this ability to work together. So what you were just talking about is, I think, one of your most remarkable accomplishments because you brought together groups who have never been together or very rarely. So you bring together the environmental community, the coal industry, the labor, labor um, and get them to work together to actually pass something that's going to make a difference to the economic future of an industry. Now, that's a huge accomplishment for North Dakota and really beyond. Yeah. So kudos to you. So, you know, um, in these final days, what is it that you hope that people in North Dakota remember you for? That I worked hard. Well, you certainly did that. But you know what? Some people work hard but don't get results. <laughs> the amazing thing about you and, and I said on the campaign trail, <clears throat> I think when the history of this period is written, they will say that no senator in North Dakota's history got more accomplished in their first term than Heidi Heitkamp. We talked a little about the Farm Bill. We talked about uh, legislation that allows the export of our oil. We talked about uh, legislation to strengthen the future of the coal industry, which, by the way, also strengthened the future of renewables Yep. because you got key credits extended there for wind energy uh, that make a difference across the whole country. So are there things about you that you wish people knew more about? Is there something that about Heidi Heitkamp that you think people maybe don't know that you'd want them to? Yeah, I, you know, I, I tell a story, and I think this isn't probably something people don't know, but um, when I was doing the tobacco settlement, I was negotiating for the small states, and um, basically what it was was taking 13 small states and holding up the big states so they give us more money, right, un under the formula. And um, there was an attorney general in Indiana who was responsible for the allocation formula, as we said, the the formula that would divide up this huge pot of money. And eventually I got like like 500 million more dollars for all the small states, each individually, not not collectively. And uh, when when this happened and they voted on it, the, the attorney general from Indiana said, you know, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. The only reason anyone's doing this is because you all like Heidi. <laughs> I said, I'll take it. I'll take it. No, I think that, that maybe it's a lesson for people, you know, because I think that there is this kind of expression, nice guys finish last. It's never been my experience. My experience is, uh, you know, when you're nice to people, when you're respectful to people, when you listen, when you try and understand everything from their perspective, and you respond in a way that's not, you know, just just platitudes and, and yeah, I hear you. When you respond and say, I think we can fix it because of, and that, you know, Kent, you taught me that, mm -hmm. you know, that there's always a way to weasel in, <laughs> you know, get your way by listening, but also by the tenacity. I mean, I think there's so much I learned from you. And one thing that I learned is that turn a problem around and around and around until you find the solution. And that was one of the lessons I learned really early on working for you. I saw you do it in the legislature. I saw you do it with a lot of complicated issues that we did 
dealt with in the tax department, and you always found a way to bring people together to get results. And I had so I had a great mentor, not polit not just politically in you, but a great mentor in terms of leadership and problem solving. And and you know I learned a lot, and and I've taken those lessons and hopefully built on them. And what I hope people will take away is that we now have so many kids that I've been able to mentor. We have had so many um, experiences working with other people mm -hmm. that maybe they've taken a little bit of that Kent Conrad tenacity and that Kent Conrad problem solving that I learned, and they can take that forward in their life. Well, we hope. And let me ask you this. What do you think most needs to change in this institution? I think people from outside look at this and they say, gee, we got a lot of big problems facing the country, and a lot of these things don't get taken care of. What's wrong down there? What, how do you answer that? Um, you know, I say two things. Number one, we have structural problems. Um, we've handed over way too much power to leadership. And individual members no longer, you know, um, have, and, and, and this may sound contradictory when I give the next thing, but individual members are no longer uh, have the ability to work with other members that aren't in leadership to basically get problems solved. You know, it's always, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. And, and I, I blame kind of this pol politics infiltrating leadership of the Senate, and it's an equal... Uh, mm -hmm. problem on both sides. I said the leaders of the Senate back when you started mm -hmm. were the leaders of the Senate. They mm -hmm. were not leaders of their political party. They were not leaders of an ideology. They made the trains run on time. They recognized big problems and said we have to solve big problems. We've lost that because now the motivation is winning above all else. So individual members need to take back their individual responsibilities on behalf of their state. Now with that said, this is going to sound contradictory. There's two ways you pass bills. You either have a full-on floor fight, um, and where you amend unless they fill the tree, which happens way too often now. But, but that's stuff you don't all need to know about, listeners. But you know, it's a complicated procedure to get a bill, uh, you know, heard on the floor. The other way is you pass them by unanimous consent, and unanimous consent means one jerk in this place can stop a bill that 99 people in the Senate believe needs to pass. And that needs to change. We need to, we need to either hold that one person more accountable or we need to f fix the rules so that it's not mm -hmm. unanimous consent but maybe consent by 90%. Because that power of that one person it's, it's, it's oversized based on, and, and it creates incredible frustration here. I mean, it's like what's happening to me now with the House holding up a couple bills. One person over there. That's the history of the House. The House is run by leadership and by committee chairs. The history of the Senate is everybody comes equal. Yes, you respect the process and the committee process, but you go to committee markup. You know how many markups I did that really mattered in when I, my six years, Kent? How many? One. 2155, which was our, our Dodd-Frank reform bill. I sat for seven hours. That's the hours banking and, reform yeah. bill that helped open up credit for banks, credit unions across oh. North Dakota and across the country. Yeah. Another thing, Very big nope. thing. Right. Yeah. And Bipartisan. Thing, yeah, and wouldn't have happened probably if I hadn't been there. Well, it would not have happened. Yeah, so, so this bill, you know, and it was mainly taking votes on amendments that my colleagues on the Democratic side wanted to force down 
uh, in this bill and saying no to stuff I would agree to otherwise. But we sat there in a markup. And so when the pro when the bill came out, it had the legitimacy of that committee process. You don't see that anymore. How many bills come up just out of committee with straight party votes? Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's crazy, and we need to have more dialogue. And, and I said in Homeland Security, we need to sit around the table, not on the dais, but around the table and actually have a conversation about what we want to do uh, in committees. And, and, you know, I'm very proud of the work that we got done. And, and, and a lot of the big stuff that got done, um, you know, was leadership from the middle. And, and I think leadership that I played an important role in. You know, um, looking at the current makeup of the United States Senate, uh, you're seen as a centrist. You're seen as somebody that can work with both sides. So what does it say about this place that somebody like you, who was incredibly effective at getting things done for our state, gets defeated? I, you know, I think that, that um, everybody talks about how partisan Washington's gotten. The country's gotten more partisan. And certainly North Dakota, you know, where, where when, you know, it always has been, you know, a Republican-leaning state. And, but yet you could peel off 20 percent of the Republicans who voted for you can't. It's not true anymore. There's been national stories written, and I think it's true in North Dakota, that only about 4 or 5 percent of the um, people who identify as Republicans would actually vote for a Democrat. There aren't enough independents in North Dakota to make a difference. You know, it's now a majority um, Republican Party. So the headwinds were pretty serious. But the irony of that is people say, we need people to be bipartisan and work across the aisle. But they're not bipartisan. Right. They're not willing to um, cross, over. cross over and vote for results as opposed yeah. to party labels. Yeah. No, it's... Um it's a disheartening thing to see, but you know, there's hope because just as we say that, we also saw resounding victories in many House districts across the country where um, people did cross over. Uh, people who were nominally Republicans decided, hey, um, it's time to give Democrats a chance um, because they're the more moderate person in the race. Mm -hmm. So what would you... What would you want young people in North Dakota to learn from your experience? You've been uh, general counsel in the tax department. You've been the tax commissioner. You've been attorney general, candidate for governor, United States senator. From your experiences, what would you want young people who might be listening to think about what role they might play? You know, the, the one thing is you'll never know if you can win and you'll never know if you can lose if you don't get in the arena. You know, and, and I've, I've been great friends with Cindy and John McCain, and, and they have the McCain Institute now has an in-the-arena um, uh, kind of hashtag that, that really encourages people to get involved in, in civic leadership, get involved in political leadership. And, and so I'm saying I, I, I do something to um, young people that I talk to. Um, I ask them a simple question, and it's, it's, it's maybe schmaltzy, I don't know, but what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? And what I said yesterday in my, in my farewell speech is, look, we have a culture of failure in the Senate. We've developed a culture of failure where, where a good idea can be recognized as a good idea, but it's never going anywhere because that can't happen. I can't 
tell you the number of times when I said, well, that will never happen, or where, where it was told to me. And one thing that I proved, I think, with, especially with oil exports, no one thought we could get that done in a year. And I kept saying there's no good reason not to do it. But when you work really hard, when you have a really good idea, and against all odds and against everybody telling you it can never happen, if you believe you can get it done, I think you can, and if you're smart about how you work and you're willing to work hard, you can achieve great things. But you will never do it if you start out saying, it can't happen, or I can't do this. And so that's why I think it's so important, even though it's, it's, it's maybe boilerplate, what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? What a great question. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we can. Yeah, that, there you go. Yes, we can. Well, there, there I go. <laughs> I get so much grief for saying, there you go. But it's true. Yes, we can. Yeah. I mean, yes, we can. We can make a difference. You, and, and, and that, you know, don't be frustrated. And, and Kent, you know the first race I ever ran, which you forced me to do, <laughs> I lost. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it put me in a position to be appointed tax commissioner, which yeah. led to an amazing political career. And I loved every job I had. Um, I, I loved I loved every minute of t- being tax commissioner. I had to clean up a big mess from my predecessor. <laughs> that would be can't that would be me. No, my my big worry when I was tax commissioner was, you know, how am I gonna how am I gonna you know come up with um, uh, new innovations that could ever surpass Byron Dory and Kent Conrad? So, following in in many ways, following bad leadership is easier than following good leadership, and I've done both. And I don't want to you know the attorney general's office was a different experience um, than taking over for you in in the. Um, uh, tax commissioner's office and then obviously felt the weight of 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 this seat and and people say why did you run and i said you know because this was quentin burdick's seat and ken conrad's seat and i don't think somebody should just inherit it without a fight and so i got into the fight because i knew that i was the best equipped person to carry on the legacy of quentin burdick to carry on the legacy of bill langer whose seat you and i both had and to carry on the legacy of ken conrad well you've done a brilliant job so What's next? You know, it's hard to say. Um, like I said, I um, one issue that I tackled that I'm very proud of and, and is the issue of childhood trauma. I think when we look at a lot of the socioeconomic challenges we have, mm-hmm. healthcare challenges, behind all that is is this dynamic of the lack of resiliency, especially in children. And, and when these children who uh, have experienced trauma become adults, they, they have you know, record amounts of addiction, record amounts of um, uh, death by suicide, you know, economic challenges, educational challenges. And so I, I really think we need to think differently about how we deal with our socioeconomic mm-hmm. problems. And we, we need to build a more resilient population. Um, and the disparity between opportunity for rich and poor is just getting worse. And so, um, so, so I intend to be very, very active in the issue of childhood trauma. I was able to get a third of our bill. I've led on this issue. I care about it deeply. A third of our childhood trauma bill got embedded in the opioid bill. And, and, oh, and I care deeply about what's happening with foster kids. And so Native American programs, I'm just, you know, my advocacy for Native people will never end. That, To my dying breath, that will be um, important to me. And, and then just the economic issues, you know, that I've inherited an interest in from you. Um, you know, debt and deficit. I think you can be a great asset still in that debate, and I think I can be a great asset in that debate. I used a line in my speech, and I've been, I've, 
I've stole it from Byron Dorgan, but um, the, the line is, we are the first generation that has inherited from our parents who are the greatest generation and we're borrowing from our kids. And these are systemic problems that we all have to be concerned about and we have to look at solutions. And I know you're in that fight. You're in the fight on retirement security. So one thing you taught me was to look up. Don't just deal with today's issues. What's coming on the horizon that's problematic that's going to challenge American dominance. And, and you and I share probably a different vision of trade than Byron does, but I think these trade policies and the economic challenges of a global, of a global world are passing us by because we don't have the right attitude. If, if you think about it, I tell young people when I talk mm -hmm. to them I, give them, I hold up my hand and I say, remember the number five, if you remember nothing else. And they kind of look at me like, what's that? And I said, the, American, the United States of America is less than 5% of global population. And when you're my age, it'll be less than three. If you are not engaging, if you're not actively engaging globally, America will lose its economic dominance. And so do, that doesn't mean that we need to hand over and be patsies on bad trade agreements. I agree with that. But we need to understand that this debate that we're having about national nationalism versus globalism is ridiculous. It's like debating whether the sun comes up in the east. We have to be global to be successful. Absolutely. Let, let me ask you this. Um, what do you see as the greatest threat out there to America's future? And what's the biggest opportunity? I think the greatest threat to America's future is that we don't invest enough in our kids. Mm -hmm. in the education of our kids, in the health care of our kids. I think, I think that, that at the end of the day, America's superiority is about investment in people. And I always tell people, you know, what's the difference between the Democratic Party and the, the Republican Party? So the Democratic Party always invests in people, not institutions, not corporations, but in human beings and believes that when we give human beings that opportunity, they will excel, they will prosper, they will make us proud. I think that the greatest um, opportunity that we have out there is our kids. I've met so many amazing young people. And, and, and our commitment to the future, that we are still an incredibly optimistic country that believes that we can, again, lead, that yes, we'll hit bumps, but, but those are just the speed bumps of life and we will continue to be the amazing country that we are because we have a foundation that is so solid called the United States Constitution. And I believe in the United States Constitution. I believe in the, the uh, foundation of our democracy, and I believe in our way of life and our government. So when people want to hear more from Heidi Heitkamp in the future, where are they going to look? I don't know. Where will I, they find you? Well, you know, they may they may find me talking, trying to talk smart on some news shows, that kind of thing. Um, but but I I hope that um, uh, you know we can still keep up some podcasting, that we can still um, uh, have an influence. And it's hard to know, Kent. And you know, um, you've you you continue to have a great voice through the bipartisan commission. Um, you know, and letters, and, and people look to you still for advice on, on debt and deficit. I hope that, that um, uh, people will look to my advice and look to my, uh, you know, uh, counsel on the issues that I care about. You know, uh, here we are, 2018. Uh, can you ever see yourself running for political office again? Um, you know, no. 
<laughs> I'm still I'm still still bleeding out from the last one. You know, you know, you know. It's it's it. There's a time that comes and a time that goes. And and you know, I I looked at this and said, okay, in a, another term puts me at 68. That's about right. I mean, you retired before you were 65 or right at 65. Yeah, 64. Yeah, so that gave you an opportunity for that second chapter to be an mm-hmm. elder space, uh, statesman. You know, think about that. And I'm 63, Kent. So I'm just a year younger than you are, even yeah. though you were here longer. Um, and so I have a lot of opportunities to look at other things. But this political system needs to be fixed. It's, it's broken horribly. And, and um, Can I just say this? Mm. So... I'm going uh, later this year to New Hampshire and to Iowa and announcing uh, the draft Heidi Heitkamp campaign <laughs> for president of the United States. And I'm going to get, I'm going to, just as I did, just as I got you drafted to run for state auditor. <laughs> when you're a young woman. <laughs> you're going to have to. <laughs> so I've got a bus, and what we're doing is we're getting that plastic, you know, that was on your campaign up, bus. Yeah. We got that ordered. We're bringing that out, and Yeehaw. we're starting in New Hampshire and Iowa. And I think, you know, they say there are 31 people who are looking at running for president. I've just announced number 32. <laughs> You know, can't turn about his fair play. And there might be a draft, Kent Conrad. You know, I'm like, too old. No, no, trust me. Yeah. You've seen the. You know, oh, yeah, that's, I guess that's right. I'm young. You're young. You're young. Oh, Kent, it's always great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to be with yeah. you. Thank you so much. We're very proud of the incredible contribution you've made to North Dakota and the incredible results you got here in the United States Senate for our state and for the nation. Thank well, you, Heidi I, Heitkamp. You know, to the extent that that um, you want to take any responsibility for me, you know, I think I think you know the the big role you've played in my life. I love you to death. Love Lucy too. I love you, and uh, you know, I'll be looking for you in Iowa, New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be alone. <laughs> I'm Senator Heidi Heitkamp. Thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this week's helping of the hot dish.